The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 19 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, 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 greetings to you all. We are officially past the spooky season and we are moving into the holiday season. Yep, I did not podcast last week. (laughs) Um, It's just been a hard year for me to podcast and I don't want anybody to think that it's like I'm losing interest. I'm not. Um, There's just been a lot going on. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that like I'm getting to the point where with my company with movement headquarters that I need like help, um, which I'm hoping to get in the new year. Um, other things also get in the way like life. So I was like trying to be super, super positive in the last podcast episode. Um, I recorded on my birthday and one thing that I didn't share with anybody was that my husband had tested positive for COVID like two hours before, I actually podcasted. Um, So things were kind of stressful. um, And I had tested negative and I was super nervous because I was pretty sure that there was no chance I wasn't going to get sick. And um, like an hour or two after I recorded the last episode of the podcast, my nasal passageway swelled shut. And I knew at that point that I was getting sick. So um, I ended up testing positive that Friday the 15th. I got really sick on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Started feeling better Monday, but still a little off. And then by Tuesday, Wednesday, I was pretty much fine. Um, so I'm okay. My husband's okay. Uh, it, it just, I mean, to be completely honest, it really sucked. Like, I got sick on my birthday. I lost like $2,500 in work. Um, I had the quarantine in my apartment for 10 days and um, my husband and I were supposed to have a joint birthday trip to the Southwest to go to the Grand Canyon and Sedona and Phoenix to visit a friend and Santa Fe and everything between. We had to cancel it because I he met the guidelines to travel, but I did not. Um, so yeah, that's why I've been kind of... <laughs> <laughs> try to get back on this podcasting trade. So yeah, life life has been it's been challenging, but I'm still alive. That's the most important part. And honestly, like having the vaccinated version of uh COVID, I was really sick. Like I, I wasn't like, oh, I have, I have some friends who have had breakthrough cases and they had like the sniffles. Like I was like really, really, really sick, and so was my husband. Um, but I I I know two people who were sick with COVID around the same time that I had it. Um, who were unvaccinated and they ended up hospitalized for several days. So um, I would take what I had over that any day. Um, so yeah, uh, I just wanted to give you guys an explanation so that you didn't think that I was just like not thinking about podcasting. Like life gets in the way, and sometimes you have to you have to go. Okay, 
this is something I really want to do that I do regularly, but um, it also doesn't necessarily like make sure I can pay my bills. And it also uh, is not something I can do when I'm ill. So uh, that is that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm still planning on continuing as I have. Um, if things get too busy, just know if I miss a week or here or there, like I, my intention is to do one coming up soon thereafter. Um, unless I say that I'm taking a break like I did uh, for like a month this summer. So um, do not fret. The chat shall go on. Um, but yeah, what else is going on? Speaking of being busy in my company, um, tickets have officially gone on sale for my company's Land of the Suites. So I've talked about this probably a little bit, but not like a lot of it. So over the past year, I have, I well, pretty much from like October 2020 until July um, 2021, I ran a choreography workshop with my company to develop 10 scenes uh, for an immersive nutcracker that I've been developing with a brand new plot and a commission score by an Italian composer, Alessandro Paganelli, um, who has reimagined the Tchaikovsky score. Um, we're hiring uh, Leonard Leonard Chu, who is a Singapore-based costume designer who used to work with New York City Ballet. Uh, I'm working with uh, the possibly working with a video projection artist. Uh, bringing back out my friend from LA Opera, lighting designer Caitlin Bramer. Um, yeah, we're like really going in for this production, and it's not going to be like your traditional Nutcracker. It's it's an immersive production. Um, so there's going to be a food and drink sampler in, included in it. We're going to have projections and finding different ways to get the audience involved um, so that they don't feel like they're just watching a show, but that they feel like they're actually like in the land of the sweets. Um, so yeah, we have five shows coming up on December 17th and 18th at the Mark O'Donnell Theater, the Actors Fun Arts Center in downtown Brooklyn. Um, and I'm just really excited to get this thing off the ground. We're doing preview performances this year because eventually I want it to be a walkthrough, um, with 10 rooms and, uh, we just weren't able to do that yet. It does take several years, especially being a small company to build out a production like this, but we are well on our way and I would love it if you could join us for it. Um, you can go to www.movementhqballet.org for information on that, or you can also go to uh, my Instagram at bcorollis or uh, on movement headquarters, which is movement underscore headquarters. Um, so yeah, you should totally join us. I think it's going to blow people's minds. Um, like Clara is now 21 years old, 22 years old. She's in her early 20s. She lives in New York City and she throws her first holiday party. Um, like feeling nostalgic about her, her childhood holiday parties with her family. Um, and nobody shows up and it throws her in a tizzy. And eventually she has to be shown by the Nutcracker, uh, like reminded about the sweeter side of life. So I think you're going to like it. And uh, if you're in New York City or if you want to visit for the holidays, it's like the perfect holiday gift. So um, Land of the Sweets. That's what I've been working on. I am immersed in Land of the Sweets. And hopefully you will be too um, once I'm done being immersed. So that is that. Um, also, uh, what else have I been up to? I've been, I'm, I'm actually working on another Nutcracker. I'm rehearsal director for Brooklyn Ballet's Nutcracker, um, which is a nice company in downtown Brooklyn. We're actually, the, the Black Box Theater is in the same building as this studio that they rehearse in. So that's how I found out about that. But um, I'm, I'm enjoying getting to work with the professionals that uh, are part of this production and getting them uh, all together so that they can do their best in their performances. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just looking forward to moving forward into the new year, uh, with 
this extra protection with from the Delta variant. I mean, that's really like my last update. We, we've decided, my husband and I, we, we canceled um, obviously our trip to the Southwest and we tried to reschedule it and it just wasn't worth it. It was like twice the price and things were closed during the holidays. So we're actually going to Mexico City um, over New Year's. So, you know, can't complain too much with that. It's actually going to be cheaper. So um, yeah, that is my life update. Um, as other things come into place, I will always start these episodes with like a nice fun little update as to what's going on because people are so nice and uh, kind and they tell me that they just want to know what I'm up to. So I really appreciate that. So yeah, I just talked a lot about Land of the Sweets. Um, and I was thinking, you know, like I know it's, I'm, I'm recording on November 10th. This will come out around November 13th or 14th. Um, and you know, like the holiday season, it's like, pumpkin spice lattes like they come out like now in august where they should come out in like mid-september um same thing with the holidays i i went to macy's a couple of weeks ago it was like right before their halloween um and they already had their christmas decorations up at like the flagship macy's store on 34th street here in like times square um or midtown i guess it's not quite times square it's like south but yeah in midtown manhattan what a mess macy's pull it together um, so I'm waiting at least till like mid November to talk about the holidays. So, um, since we're talking about the Nutcracker, I thought that I would do an episode about the Nutcracker. It's not too soon, right? I swear it's not too soon. You'll be fine. It'll just get you in the spirit. Okay. Um, and if you, if you're not into it, just go listen to another episode that has nothing to do with Nutcracker, but an episode of mine, pod at chat, talking dance, please. Um, <laughs> there's like... I don't know, almost 200 at this point, you can find something unless you've listened to all 200 and then you get like a super fan star. Okay. I'm like way off track. This is because I had an espresso shot before I, I started podcasting. So, all right. I've been doing Nutcracker practically every year since I was a small child. Um, in fact, I've probably performed Nutcracker between 500,000 times with absolutely no exaggeration whatsoever. Like I'm not like talking this up. I've at least done 500, maybe closer to a thousand. Um, I've gone through every stage of Nutcracker from being like a little kid in the audience inspired to dance by it to uh, getting my first role and seeing the other dancers and then starting to aspire to climb up the ladder of roles in our local production um, to getting my first taste of a professional company by getting to be like a kid in a production and I've gone through the whole stage of like loving the choreography and then getting into a big company and enjoying dancing 45 shows a year to realizing 45 shows uh, of Nutcracker in like five weeks is really, really, really hard to then leaving the theater and going out to eat, going into the car, going into the restaurant, going on, sitting on my couch, watching TV uh, and Nutcracker music being everywhere and being annoyed by it to never wanting to dance it again to finding my way back every single year somehow with joy. <laughs> There's this weird thing that happens with Nutcracker where it's like you get sick of it, but then when it comes back, it's like an old friend that you just like want to hug. And then that old friend hugs you really, really hard and it won't let go. And you're like, let go. Uh, <laughs> that's like my experience with Nutcracker. So yeah, the Nutcracker is an important part of every American dancer's careers. Um, I've mentioned this before, but if you haven't heard it, uh, Nutcracker is not as popular outside of the United States. It's kind of an American tradition. Um, it's not that other dance companies in like Europe and Asia and Australia um, 
don't perform it. Um, but usually it's more like a repertoire program where they're going to do it like in February, kind of like Swan Lake. It's not so much that they do it like traditional every single year, like a run of it every single year. Um, but uh, for American companies, it's a big deal. Um, it usually covers about 25 to 50% of every dance company's uh, yearly budget, which means that it essentially pays the salaries of, of most dancers. Um, also, it, for companies, it's the longest running program of shows every year. Um, where if it's a smaller company, they might do two to four shows of a, of a program. Um, they're probably going to do like 10 to 20. And if it's a larger company where they do like, I don't know, eight to like 15 shows of each production, um, they're probably going to do like 35 to 50 shows of Nutcracker. Um, so it's one of the longest runs um, every year. It offers the most opportunities to perform roles outside of your rank as a dancer. Um, so a lot of t- dancers get their first like soloist and principal uh, role opportunities in Nutcracker because the companies usually either they want to save the the principals so that they're fresher for the other times of the year, um, or often actually a lot of the leading dancers will be hired to guest uh, to be guest artists with schools and companies around the country. Um, so it's usually a great opportunity for those dancers who don't always get the the chance to dance in a, a solo role or a leading role. Um, so it's, it's really positive that way. And like I said, uh, already it pays most dancer salaries. Um, so yeah, to say Nutcracker isn't ingrained in American ballet culture would be a complete fallacy. I love that word fallacy. I just wanted to say that. So yeah, it's a complete fallacy people. Um, so yeah, as I said, over the years, I've gone through every range of emotions towards Nutcracker. I've also played practically every male role available, um, from like party child and Fritz to like the Nutcracker and Drosselmeyer and Grand Pate de Cavalier. I've done Russian and Chinese and Spanish and, and so many different versions of all those too. Um, so yeah, uh, Nutcracker, it's like, I know it like inside out. I could probably sing the entire score from beginning to end um, with very few errors. I'm joking, but I could probably sing a lot of it, um, but you don't want to listen. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make you hear that. But so yeah, this year, everything is about to change as I finally play the role of choreographer and director as Movement Headquarters builds a brand new production that we plan on sharing annually. Um, I've already given you tons of information about that, so I'm not going to go into that. But I was thinking in honor of this exciting milestone that I would offer you 10 of my favorite memories. Aren't you excited from the Nutcracker since I was a small child until today? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can hear the excitement. I can hear it. Um, So yeah, let's get this. Let's get this show on the road. Um, my first real memory of Nutcracker was playing the role of a soldier in uh, production by Chester Valley Dance Academy in Chester County, Pennsylvania, where I was raised. Um, so I danced from the age of two to five, but we didn't really do any Nutcracker productions. Um, and I, I, I saw a production of Nutcracker. It was probably Chester Valley's. Um, before I started dancing, like as a student, um, restarted dancing as a student. So two to five, I danced, I stopped for two years between five and seven. Um, and this is during that pocket. So, um, I wasn't a student at at Chester Valley Dance Academy, but, um, I was, uh, taking Taekwondo next door to the dance studio because there was a a dojang next door. Um, and, 
the director of Chester Valley, uh, Kathy Bartomo Moran, smart, smart lady. Um, she saw an opportunity and she presented it and it, uh, it was super, super smart and ended up working out. So she asked if, because, well, let me backtrack. Most local schools have little to no boys in dance. Um, it's changed a bit over the years, but not as much as one would hope. Um, but especially in like su- suburban areas and more rural areas, it's it's less common for boys to be at dance studios. In a city, in cities, you'll find more. Um, but yeah, so uh, she didn't have any male dancers, and she wanted to get some like testosterone on stage. Um, so she asked if four of the the guys uh, from the dojang would be able to perform a, a form in the battle scene. So we essentially like did a taekwondo form <laughs> and as we did it we like attacked the mice and killed them so um that was like the first time that i ever actually danced in the nutcracker um and i remember just like being so enamored with being on stage and getting to perform in that way um and i had danced previously but it just wasn't something that i had done so when we had finished the that performance um the super smart kathy miss kathy she uh she invited all four of us to take dance classes for free at her school and actually two out of the four um ended up uh taking classes and then one one stayed for a couple of years but he had to go because his uh family didn't support him dancing um unfortunately he wanted to dance but his family didn't support it um but for me like that was the beginning of everything so i'm so grateful that i had that opportunity and um it really was the reason that i am where i am today like if that didn't happen who knows what i'd be doing um what i'd be invested or involved in um Hopefully it would have been great things, but I don't know. I'm pretty happy with this track. So I'm very grateful. Thank you, Miss Kathy, for asking uh, for us to be a part of your production. Um, I ended up staying at, at her school for 10 years training before I moved on to uh, my finishing training and then joining Ballet Company. So that's like my first real Nutcracker memory. So I thought that would be number one. Um <laughs> Uh, number two, uh, this was another like big moment in really like solidifying my track to get to where I am today. So, um, back in, I don't remember the year people, I was what, 15, I think I was 15. Um, it was, so that would be like eight ninety eight. Yeah. I think in 1998, um, one of my ballet teachers, actually several of my ballet teachers, they were dancing with a small company that no longer exists called Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware. Um, it was like full of a, a handful of dancers who were a part of this. It's a crazy story. They were part of this Russian touring ballet company called Donetsk, D-O-N-E-T-S-K. And they were on tour in the United States. They did like the old school like bus tours from like high schools to like professional theaters and all around finish shows they'd like sleep on the bus and go to the next place um so the donetsk was touring around um the east coast and the company just collapsed and they just like left all of their dancers in the united states and a bunch of the dancers ended up defecting um 
in the U.S. Um, and they took a handful of those dancers and created a small company called Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware. But yeah, so um, when I was 15, my teacher had convinced me to audition for their brand new production, The Nutcracker, which was going to be choreographed by Robert LaFosse, who at the time was a star with New York City Ballet. Um, and uh, I actually still know him today. I run into him all the time. But um, so he was doing this new production. They said, you should audition. I was like, okay, but I'm dancing with this little modern company and that's more important to me. So I auditioned for the Nutcracker. I got uh, the role of the Nutcracker and I was understudy for uh, the Chinese lead. Um, so uh, I've, I was like, I'm not doing it. Like I just did it because you guys made me. Like I'm going to do this modern thing. And they were like, no, you're doing the Nutcracker. So I ended up doing the Nutcracker and um, really enjoying it. And they actually brought, I've talked about this before, four uh, girls from the School of American Ballet down to do the marzipan uh, divertisement. So um, th- I got to see them dancing. They were they were amazing and they were long-legged. And uh, I was talking to them and they were telling me how they like got to go to school like early in the morning and then they danced from like 10 o'clock until like 3 or 4 and then they would finish school. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Um and that was like really the first thing that really that really inspired me to transition from like modern jazz and like musical theater to consider myself like a possibly being a ballet dancer. So I auditioned for the School of American Ballet that year. I didn't get in, but from that point on, I was like hooked on ballet. And one of the crazy things is actually one of the dancers who did Marzipan. I actually let me say actually again. Um, we ended up dancing together at Pacific Northwest Ballet. Um, so that that ballet world gets crazy small. Um, so yeah, that's number two. Number three, um, playing a doll for the first time, um, was definitely a highlight for me. I don't know. This is like still me today. I love playing a character on stage. Um, yeah, I'm not really on stage that much anymore, but like, I love acting and embodying a character. Um, and I remember it was so cool to see people like try to move their body in like herky jerky ways. Um, so I was like obsessed with like how sharp could I be and like how I could embody like what it would be like to be a human doll to the point that I actually refused to blink on stage. And I mean, granted, I'm sure I probably did, but I was like convincing myself that I wasn't blinking. I tried to keep my eyes open until like they would water. Um, and it's funny because it actually eventually poured over into my future. And when I got to dance the, the roles of dolls in professional companies and I still would try not to blink. Um, and I would still do the exact same thing. And I would like, just like really become that character to the point that I actually received a mention in a review, like a public review in a paper for Pacific Northwest ballet. Um, like usually the dolls wouldn't get much attention cause they're really short solos. Um, but I actually got mentioned in a review because I'm crazy. And I wanted to be a wooden doll at the age of like 26. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's number three. Um, number four. Number four is uh, one of my favorite memories. I love the Nutty Nutcracker that we would do at Pacific Northwest Ballet. So every year, um, as I mentioned, we would do about 40 shows of Nutcracker. Um, and it's kind of set up in the way that like the first weekend was always like started on Black Friday. So you do like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, five shows. The next weekend you would do six shows, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The next week you would do Thursday through Sunday, like seven shows. The next week you would do eight. And then pretty much you just continue until the end of the year. Um, right before New Year's, we would stop. Um, so by the time that we got to Nutcracker, we were usually on like show 
sorry, not not Nutcracker. By the time we got to Christmas Eve, um, we were usually on something like show 30, and people were like really starting to lose their minds at this point. Like, not only are you like hurting, you're exhausted, you can't hear Nutcracker music again because it's everywhere that you go, including like your work and your relaxation. Like, why does every commercial have to have Nutcracker music? It's either Sugar Plum, it's like March of the Wooden Soldiers, or it's the Russian divertisement. Um, but yeah, so our way of like blowing off steam was to have a nutty nutcracker. And in, so our Christmas Eve show was always at noon instead of 2 p.m. so that we could like actually enjoy some of the holiday. And then we would, act, we would get Christmas off. So it was like our one day in the middle of craziness that we had a day off. Um, so we would plan all of these jokes um, on that like noon show. Um, it was fun. Like my husband would come and see Nut. He came and saw Nutcracker like twice the first year that we were together, and then after that, he wouldn't see Nutcracker at all. Except he would always ask to be backstage during Nutty Nutcracker because you were allowed to. There were like a few people that would be allowed to come backstage for each show. Um, so yeah, like we would do things, and it wasn't just us. It was like the orchestra and the crew. Like the crew would just dump all the snow at the end of snow, so it would be like a bliz- whiteout blizzard. Um, the the orchestra, they would change up the the overture and there would be like Christmas music playing instead of Nutcracker music playing. Or they would have the singers in the snow scene singing Scooby, Scooby-Doo, things like that. But like on stage, we would have s- snowball fights. Um, there was one year that Drosselmeyer like brought out, uh, he had a remote control toy and he used that also to control the dolls. Um, we've had people ski through the snow. People would like change their costumes. Um, one year we did this random, there, there was this random insert in Kent Stoll's version, um, in the middle of the party scene after the dolls where it wasn't even like Tchaikovsky's traditional music. It was a German like opera and the three dancers would come out and it was actually a reference to the original book, um, that the nutcracker was created from um and there's three masked dancers like holding a mask in front of your face one is the nutcracker one is the mouse king and then the other one is the pearl of pat which is um it's it's a part of the story you're, you're gonna have to read it the original story where uh the family's daughter is bit by the rat which makes her ugly the only way to not have her be ugly is to find like the nut that I think it's the nut that can't be cracked or like the there's nobody can crack it except for the nutcracker. Anyway, so um, it's a reference to that. Um, and we decided to replace the faces of the masks with headshots of our uh, artistic staff. Um, it was really funny. I'm not going to go into too many details. I've talked about that long enough, but anyway, so we would get lectured every single, uh, year prior to this 99, 99 Nutcracker show because they knew they couldn't stop it. But sometimes people would come, I mean, everybody was coming to see the Nutcracker on Christmas Eve to get in the spirit, but then they would get this like weird version of it. Um, they would get complaints. People would want their money back. So we would always get a lecture to like tone it down. Like we want you to have fun, but tone it, tone it down. Um, and every once in a while, people would get in trouble, but you know, it was totally worth it. It was definitely like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite memories of Nutcracker um, every single year. All right, number five, being a part of my first professional production um, as a as a as a professional, not Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware when I was still a student, but um, being a part of Houston Ballet's Nutcracker was just 
an incredible experience. I wasn't in a, I didn't dance in a school where you got to be a part of the Nutcracker production. Like most major companies, except for like New York City Ballet, um, the dancers, the uh, students are involved in the productions. Um, but I went to the Kirov Academy of Ballet um, and they're not attached to a company. And then I went to the School American Ballet and the company is so big at New York City Ballet that they only use the smaller kids for like the party scene. Um, so yeah, I never really got to be part of a professional production of, of the Nutcracker aside from Russian Ballet Theater. Um, so once I was there, like I was just mesmerized by the grandeur of the production. It was so dreamy. They had like chefs flying around on, uh, wires at the beginning of the, the second act. Um, there were really funny moments with like the grandparents and the like old auntie getting drunk and like had, trying to like dance, but they couldn't hear and using like ear horns to try to listen. Um, there was like a family, this is probably inappropriate, but there was a family in fat suits and they were really rambunctious and it was just hilarious. Um, and everything else just that is involved in the magic of a theatrical production where they have a lot of money to really invest and make it, uh, make it turn into a complete dream world. Like to get to like knowing how it works behind stage is, is really cool. But then like you, if you watch from the audience, it really looks like a dream world. And then you get to be a part of like creating that dream world. And it, it's such a large scale with such lavish costumes and scenery and props and everything. Just pretty amazing. Um, pretty amazing. All right. Number six, six of 10. Did I say we're doing 10? Yeah, 10 of my favorite memories from Nutcracker. Um, so many snow scenes. Honestly, like, <laughs> I've gotten sick of Nutcracker uh, music year after year, um, but I could never get sick of the snow scene. The music in the snow scene is, like, my favorite. I could listen to it year-round. Um, it is just so pretty. It's so dynamic. It starts off so quiet and then it gets crazy and then it calms back down again. It's just so dreamy and magical. I don't know what it is. It makes my soul like sparkle and I don't sparkle ever. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why I said that, but, um, yeah, I, I, I love everything about the snow scene. The costumes are beautiful. Um, getting to watch snowfall on stage, I, maybe because that was like the first time even like a lot of like schools will find ways to get like a tube of pipe, like a, a pipe and then they cut holes in it and then they put the snow and they have people shake it on the rails. Um, it just, I, it just brings me back to like falling in love with the theater and like the magic that you can create in the theater. Um, and usually for some reason, um, even if choreographers aren't great, um, or if they are great, the snow scene almost always ends up being like some of their best choreography. And I think it's just because the music is so good. So snow scene, snow scene, snow scene. Amazing. Okay. Number seven, um, finally getting to do the grand pas de deux, uh, as a pro, um, as a guest artist with Rochester City Ballet would definitely be one of my favorite memories. Um, I did the Grand Pas de Deux, uh, when I was like 17, the year before I left Chester Valley Dance Academy, my home studio, um, that I was raised at. And then I went to like schools and I went into companies and I went like through the whole hierarchy again of like getting roles that I did previously as a student. Um, but at Pacific Northwest Ballet, where I was for seven years, I never got a chance to do the, the Grand Pas de Deux. And there's this weird thing that happens to a lot of 
company dancers, um, everybody goes in capable of performing most roles, but then they see other people getting those roles. Maybe they don't get them. And then you start to lose confidence. And then you think like, I could never do that role um, when most people in the company would be capable of doing it. Um, so yeah, I had waited years and I was never cast to do it. And um, it, it just became clear to me that it was a role at Pacific Northwest Ballet I was never going to play. So when I left, um, the first year that I, I did the Grand Pas de Deux, because company, not company artists, but dancers, professional dancers are often brought in as guest artists or Nutcracker, and that's where they make a lot of their money for the year. Um, I got brought in to do a couple of schools, and I was like, okay, great, I get to do, I get to do it, but I'm, I didn't feel like it was in the same way because it wasn't for a professional company. So when I was hired as a guest artist to dance with Rochester City Ballet, which is a actually quite good small company up in Rochester, New York, um, I was so excited that they saw me in that light um, to be able to perform a principal role as a guest artist. And they they had me dance with one of their leading dancers uh, who I had actually had been friends with, with Houston Ballet, Jesse Treader. Um, and it was just, it was an amazing experience. Um, and it, it proved to me that I was always capable and worthy. It's just that it depends on who, who's at the front of the room and who's making the decisions. Um, so yeah, uh, number eight, my first major pas de deux. <laughs> um, I had my, so I had done like a little bit here and there, but my first major pas de deux was the snow pot at the age of 15. And um, I did it with my friend Ashley and we were not good, <laughs> but we felt like pros and we, that's like where we learned like the basics of pirouettes. Like I think I did a press lift and we did fish lifts, like the armless fish. Um, and it was just, it was so inspiring. It really just like made me, it was one another one of those moments that really like made me want to become a professional ballet dancer. Um, I, I need to go look for the video. I should get it so that I can post it. But the video is pretty amazing. Um, and it shows how much growth happened in a very short period of time. Like that's when I first really started to fall in love with ballet. And then if you look like a year later, it was like a completely different story. So um, this is one of my favorite memories because I think this was an integral moment in me knowing that I would become a dancer. And then also like people were telling me that I probably wouldn't be a ballet dancer. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm just... I'm loving this and I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. Okay, we got two more left, people. And then I'm going to go to dinner with my husband. We're, we're, cele we're celebrating our uh, meet-aversary. We met uh, a week ago, um, 16 years ago. It's crazy. That's insane. Um, but yeah, okay, so number nine. Um, oh, this is a good one. Most people would never know that this is happening backstage. But... Um, during the second act, after the opening of the second act, like the angels and everything, um, the once the divertisement started, the crew at Pacific Northwest Ballet would play Trivial Pursuit over their headsets until the finale. Um, and not everybody, like a couple of dancers knew, like everybody knew it was happening, but a couple of dancers would participate, but like only a special few. Um and so if I was doing uh, a role that didn't require a lot of um, thought, like the marzipan variation, it wasn't called marzipan at P&B, but um, if I was doing that, that was like I needed to be like mentally prepared for that. But there were a couple of other roles that I didn't need to be, or if it was earlier and then I could do the trivial pursuit afterwards. Um, and we weren't playing it to like win, we were just answering trivia questions. 
Um, but yeah, I would sit there with like the crew and, uh, one of my best friends, she was the production manager. She would like call all the, call the show. Um, and we would play Trivial Pursuit and it was just like such a nice bonding experience. It was fun and there was banter and it was a great way to like kind of forget that you were doing Nutcracker 40 something times a year. Um, I do miss that experience. It was a lot of fun. All right. We made it to number 10. Number 10. Um, I would say that my, my, my last favorite memory of Nutcracker would be returning to uh, Chester Valley Dance Academy as a professional in 2011 um, after not having performed at the school since I left it in 2000. I think it was 2000 when I left. Um, I, I told you the history of how I ended up starting the school and then they supported me all the way up until I left to, to tr- finish my training to become professional. And then a professional career can become overwhelming and you, you have trouble finding the time to go back and like give back to your community. Um, it, it becomes fully, um, uh, you become fully immersed, <laughs> immersive. Let's talk about land of the sweets, but no, you, you become fully immersed in your career and it becomes very difficult to like go back and reconnect with, uh, the people and the places that helped you get to where you are. So when I left Pacific Northwest Ballet and I started working with Ballet X and I started freelancing, um, it opened up an opportunity for me to finally return to the place that really inspired me to uh, become a dancer. And that helped like set the foundation for me to have the passion to be a dancer um, that I I do today. So um for me to finally have that time and to be invited to come back and to show like I came from here and if you work hard enough and you have some luck along the way that you can end up doing amazing things that you could never dream of doing. Um, So to get to go back and perform on the stage uh, with the school that I was raised at and to uh, be an advocate for dance and to help inspire people in that school to know that like you, you can, uh, if you can have the potential to, uh, make this your life. Um, it was really special for me and it was a great chance for me to reconnect with my, my former teachers, um, and some of the, the parents who were still there, even though their kids had moved on, they still, they loved the school so much that they would help with the productions and the costume and things like that. So, um, that was really like, a a very heartwarming experience for me. Um, and I ended up actually uh, doing that pas de deux beyond my retirement um, until I think it was about 2017 was my last year, 2016. Um, my final year was actually when my niece got to play Clara. So it was like, yeah, it was just great. So um, yeah, that's my number 10. Um, so yeah, the Nutcracker, as much as I sometimes say that I hate the Nutcracker, um, it has been kind of like, a marker on a time on, on, on the timeline of my, my life and career every single year. Um, and I could probably look at it and see like how I grew to become who I am in life. Uh, and as a dancer through the nutcracker. Um, so yes, they don't perform it everywhere in the world every year, but in the United States we do. And it, it really is more than just like a holiday production for so many of us. It inspired many of us to dance. It's like, uh, memories of friends and family and being in the audience and being on stage and marking your growth based off of roles. And then, uh, knowing every year that it's like just an old friend. Um, it's it's like that feeling of just going back 
home after a year or two and seeing that friend that you know will always be there for you and that even if you don't know what's going on in each other's lives in that moment that you're like still connected in a way and then you just like go back at it um so yeah there you guys go there are my favorite my 10 favorite nutcracker memories i hope that you enjoyed listening i hope that this starts to put you in the holiday spirit um if you're in the new york area i'm gonna say it one more time my company movement headquarters we are putting on an immersive nutcracker called land of the sweets where clara is uh an adult and she uh ends up traveling through the land of the sweets and we're going to bring the audience on her journey with her so uh, on that journey with her so uh go to www.movementhqballet.org for information on how to get tickets we hope to see you there I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod the Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorlis.com. You can also check out my company's website, www.movementhqballet.org. You can also, <laughs> again, reach out on those websites if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements i hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me if you enjoyed this chat please feel free to share rate and review our podcast on itunes every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running and if this didn't fulfill your dance fix check out my sister podcast on the premier dance network if you want to connect with me to see where i'm choreographing teaching and what i'm doing in my everyday life you can follow me on facebook Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis. My company's Instagram is at movement underscore headquarters uh, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I wrote on Life of a Freelance Dancer for five years about working as a freelance artist touring the country. And then I also have Dancing Off Stage, where I wrote about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you want to check out my choreography, please head on over to YouTube and you can find me at B. Corollis or at Movement Headquarters on those channels there. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.